Welcome to CTO Think, a podcast about leadership, product development, and tech decisions between two recovering chief technology officers. Here are your hosts, Don Vandemark and Randy Burgess. Hey, Randy, what's going on this week? Hey, Don. Uh, this week, end of the year thing, I've moved into the house. Things are getting more in a routine, picking up you know, discussions with people about work and the new year. Um, you know, let me think. Ah, there's like, that's pretty much been my life for the last month or so. So can't complain, feel a little more productive than I have before. Uh, what's going on with you? So, so in other words, things are going, getting a little bit back to normal after a move, right? Oh, uh, yeah, normal in the sense of <laughs> I don't, when people ask me what I've been doing most days, they're like, they kind of like get their eyes wide of like, what did you work on? I have like three or four home projects and trying to figure out a Rails admin panel issue with redirection. And they're like, that none of that makes sense. But um, yeah, normal for me, things are getting normal. <laughs> <laughs> so um, on on my end, uh, just just working through some things right now uh, for for Aspire Edu. We're um, we're we're still working on the back end, getting that consolidate, uh, not consolidate, actually split out, um, and and continue to work on that effort so that we can uh, address client databases a little bit more precisely. Um, and then on the uh, construction specialist side, just pretty much uh, wrapping up the year, um, successful year, going to have a, a nice get together tomorrow. So looking forward to that. Um, one thing that uh, you brought to my attention, um, I want to say it was about 10 days ago. Uh, there was a news report about a flaw in Kubernetes um, that... They it there was a flaw that allowed um, any user to gain full administrative privileges on a Kubernetes cluster. So yep. essentially, that meant that someone could get in there, wipe all logs, and do anything. Um, so pretty nasty flaw. Um, now wait, let's slow down one second. What is Kubernetes? Yeah. Kubernetes is a container-like system um, similar to, to Docker and, and that yep. sort of thing where it, it allows you to um, put uh, your whole stack inside a box um, and run any stack you want. And this is, this is a way to um, isolate. It's a way to um, handle virtual servers, things like that. So... Um, this flaw essentially allowed anybody to come in and be, a, a, an administrator, uh, with full privileges. So, um, that had me worried. And then as you and I have looked over the past week, that news has gone away. Um, it's not like the flaw ever went away, but the, there's really been no news about it. And that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, a uh, well, there's a few interesting things about this. One, it, it hit the press through, I think the article I found was Tech, or what's the name of that 
Technaria, Technarnia. <laughs> you can't remember it. Ars Technica. Ars Technica. <laughs> I've been in this business forever and I still can't remember these things. So Ars Technica posted the article. I think it was like the first week of December. We're only yeah. able, we're at the end of the second week. So um, we've been along the way. And it basically was this exploit that in theory you could hack it and no one would know that you hacked it. Like there wasn't even a trace. There wouldn't be log right. records because essentially the container is tra- is keeping the logs and because you're, it's being hacked, there, it's, it's like you could walk into the house by phasing through a wall and the security system would have no idea you passed in front of it. And so the, I think the, I, I, Kubernetes is backed strongly by Google. Now the conspiracy theorists can look into that however they want, because a lot of our news is funneling through a Google platform, um, AMP, search, what have you. But that really hasn't, I mean, Google has tons of bad press lately and none of their control of the media, so to speak, or influence on the media has done anything to negate that. So it's very hard to think that they would spend any of their own time caring about an exploit when we had Heartbleed and whatever that had logos and branding within a week. So I, what I don't understand, what like there's other factors. Does any, is anyone using Kubernetes at the scale that they act like it is? Because if the, no one isn't using it, then that exploit didn't bother anybody. But I think the more likely one is that one, the exploit was found and no one exploited it because of the way it was communicated and the way that the patches were put out. Or two, nobody knows they were hacked. And it's seen, I don't, I feel like by now the chatter of who had been hacked or hackers bragging, the hacker community largely is a bunch of loudmouth folks that like to brag or they start negotiating behind the scenes to keep things. That's the most profitable way to hack is to hack someone and then behind the scenes negotiate a payment or something like that. Right. So, so I don't know which of these factors, um, the, the conspiracy theorist to me says that the hacks were done quietly and through back side channels, the normal side or balance side of me says it wasn't an exploit that was hacked because the people that found it didn't have, you know, didn't have the desire to hack. They just wanted to make sure people knew about it and fixed it. Either which way, you went through a process, you had to react to it for your business. So let us, tell us what you had to do. So, so before, before I I talk about that, let's, let's, let's finish out the, the whole disclosure part of the, the flaw. Um, the, from what I understand, it, the the flaw was disclosed by a Google engineer um, in GitHub as an issue with an immediate 
close of the issue because they had solved it. So I think that's what this really is, is Google found it, Google fixed it, Google released that they found it and fixed it. So the flaw was there, but did anybody know it was there is the way I'll put it. Um, So that may be why it turned into nothing because Google found it, they fixed it, and then they told everybody about it. So um, that, and unfortunately, in the post, it's, in the issue itself, it says there's actually no detection, as we discussed. He said yeah. uh, it, it's they, because they have access, they can wipe the logs. You can see that they, they came in, but that's indistinguishable to other requests. So yeah. um, Red Hat reacted very, very strongly to it when it came out. Um, their, their point was, uh, uh, to quote from them, it's important to note that all Kubernetes based services and products, including, and it lists all their different products are affected. Um, now that meant before the patch, that meant you've got to update to the latest release. Um, so I think that's what happened there. So how we reacted to that the minute you, um, the minute you told me about it, I started digging. Um, we use Heroku and AWS. So my initial reaction was, okay, now I got to contact Heroku, make sure they don't have Kubernetes um, running their services, yeah. uh, essentially. Now, I, I knew that Google, Kubernetes is, is owned by Google and, and managed by Google, and that AWS more uses Docker, I believe. Um, so I had a feeling that I, it was okay, but anytime you have suspicion of a breach, you have to react immediately. Um, and this wasn't even suspicious of a breach. This was suspicion of the possibility of a breach. Um, so I reached out to Heroku support, made sure that they didn't use any Kubernetes. Um, they actually didn't. So at that point, my investigation was done. I was able to open and close it real quick. Um, there, but there, go ahead. So you're using Heroku and Heroku yeah. uses all sorts of services. Right. And so, and this is not an indictment at all of you, of your, your use of Heroku. This is anybody like, if you are a company or a tech leader and you have an application or a product using Heroku, using um, Rackspace, any kind of managed platform, you may be using a logs logging system that, um, like, uh, I don't know, like Honey Badger or whatever the heck the name is. That one. There's a ton of services out there. App Century that utilize logging. This is just an example. And so you don't know what they're using. They very well may be using Kubernetes for their platform. And if they get hacked, they have access to every log that your site is sending out on an error level. Now we all know that errors logs can usually show exploits because they're usually taking a snapshot of code to help you find out where to fix things. So, Ultimately, aren't you powerless 
to truly know how much Kubernetes is part of your system unless you've built and hosted everything yourself? Uh, that's that's true. Uh, you are. Um, uh, that, that's, that's, as you said, that's true of just about everyone. Um, unless you, you build it yourself, you're, you're kind of at the mercy of, of those other services. Um, those other services don't have access to the data, um, necessarily. Uh, the only other thing we have, we, the only other thing that would have access to, um, data would be like a celery or a RabbitMQ or Cloud uh, AMQP. Yeah. Um, but that's not even full data. That's just that's just uh, message queues. So um, so yeah, that that does exist. Um, but for the most part, it it didn't end up being an issue. Um, but doesn't this go to a bigger? I mean, I'm, now I'm pulling this away from Kubernetes, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. Not This has nothing to do with you. Aren't we all sitting on kind of this big bubble of, what if Amazon gets hacked? I mean, Amazon, AWS is by far the biggest cloud provider on the back end right now for, I would say, for the United States at least. And we all like we've always heard the terms too big to fail for the banking system. And they, of course, failed back in 2008. So in the technology industry, isn't Amazon AWS the too big to fail scenario? Like we're all betting on this platform not being hacked yeah, and it does it doesn't matter uh, if they use Docker or Kubernetes. It's just more of as technology leaders, aren't we all betting on providers to be as on top of Kubernetes before we are? Yeah, and I I don't think we want to um, to incite panic and and make it sound like everybody's in trouble and everybody's no everybody's vulnerable. I th- I think it's a worthwhile discussion. Um, yeah, we, we, yes, the answers to your question is yes. A- A- AWS is, is in that position. Um, we've seen that happen. We've seen not that happen, but we've seen indications of that. Cause when AWS East us goes down, yeah, nobody can do anything because 75% of the services out there are on AWS East. So, um, if they were to be hacked to this degree, uh, that <laughs> everybody would be filing breach reports. Um, so yeah, and- so that's, so that's part of the problem, right? Like when you have to disclose vulnerabilities as part of a compliance effort and, you can't speak for all of your service providers to down to the metal they're using. Is it even realistic to think that you need to report a Kubernetes incident? If you're not, if uh, if the software that you're in control of isn't under your steed. You have a responsibility to disclose things you know of. Okay. 
Yeah. Um, I can't sit there and <laughs> whenever I fill out the security questionnaires from potential clients, um, a lot of my answer is this part's handled by AWS. Here's a link to their policy. Yeah. Um, and, and to be honest, uh, uh, some of the time, some of the time, not all the time, some of the time, that's a better answer than I'm going to give. Um, if, if I didn't have AWS, I mean, let, let's take physical security, for example. Okay. Um, physical security means where is the server and how is it secured? Where is the actual metal and how is it secured? Yeah. Well, if I'm running it, my, let, let's take all cloud services out of the picture. Let's say I'm running it myself. That means I've got that server sitting in my house, which is going to be less secure than what Amazon has. Or somebody's provided that now somebody also may have provided some service that's not a cloud service, but is, you know, back in the old day, you just rented metal from other people. Um, and they would have security, but that security is going to be even less than what Amazon has. Amazon knows what they're responsible for. Um, so they, everything they do is, um, Best in class, most likely. It's at least industry standard. Yeah. Um, and and when we're talking, and this is something I've dealt with uh, in this role. This is something I've dealt with when I was at IBM. Um, industry standard becomes that term you lean on um, in contracts because we'd have clients ask for best in class. And we'd say, no, that's not what you're, you really don't want best in class. Because if you want best in class, we're going to charge you best in class prices. Yeah. Um, what you want is you want industry standard. You want what everybody else is doing. Because that's, that. It, it's a, um, it's social proof, essentially. If, well. <laughs> if all of the top providers are doing something one way, then that is the standard this industry is going to go forward with. And, and there's a couple, there's a couple things there, right? One is that it just works. Two is that you're likely not to find much better out there. Yeah. Do you want me to deliver the, the analogy from a different industry? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I worked in the finance industry for 10 years as working in tech for the finance. And the business that we had was essentially we took a bunch of different companies' money and transparently put it in one account and, and then co like we commingled it by design. SEC knows about it. Our clients knew about it. And then we would track that money separately so that, in theory, we weren't taking money from company A to pay off company B. Like there was no way that we did that and it worked, but there's also another company that did that, but they didn't do it transparently. That was Bernie Madoff right. and Madoff, which most people know about. Um, I'll briefly just say he had a Ponzi scheme, pyramid scheme. He basically took money from company A in the seventies and he was paying them returns based on the money that company Z was giving him two decades later. And 
the thing is, is that everyone was giving Madoff money in the family office community because of the same thing you said, best practices. Um, top, everyone's doing it. He's doing the best. Not only that, Bernie Madoff was on the the regulation committees around the the people pol- policing his businesses and stuff. And so everyone, sure. so if you're a family office, you're telling people, clients, we're going to put your money with Madoff's company because that's best practice in our industry. And if you follow this link, you'll see their policies, so to speak. And you know that they're legit because he's on the governing body. So I'm not trying to say that that is happening with Amazon or with these other services. And I'm not trying to freak people out. I'm trying to say that assumptions of best in class, if you abstract it that easily, you're probably missing something. But you can't. I'm going to go to the I'm going to go and say you cannot run a business assuming criminal behavior by everyone else. Oh, yeah, totally. Okay. Yes, if Amazon was running criminally and selling our data even though they said they wouldn't and and hacking into our systems, that would be a problem. There's also not a darn thing that people really can do about it except not use it. Until there's a whistleblower, nobody would know. Um, so it's... So Andy Grove of Intel used to have a saying, only the paranoid survive. That might have been his book title. Um, sure. And I don't agree with that. The paranoid typically go insane. But I do think that you should have, as a technical leader, a healthy amount of skepticism about things that are delivered to you as this is what everybody does. Agreed. But again, uh, I'll use your own analogy to shoot that down. Let's say I have a, I'm told that Bernie Madoff's company is the one to use. That's who everybody uses. I'm not sure what skepticism was going to do for me to find out that he was the wrong one to give money to. Because his returns were so far away from anyone else in the industry. Uh, Okay. But that's like saying, don't use Amazon because they have the fastest servers and the, and the Amazon and the most reasonable prices. But Amazon isn't. They have competitors that are really close to them. That, that's the my, no. my point. Then, is then why is why is Amazon why is AWS running uh, you know the vast majority of the business? Well, because of time, they've been out there longer. But understand, I'm not saying that a I'm not saying AWS is Bernie Madoff. I'm saying that you should not. You should be skeptical enough to not blanketly just say just choose services based on well that's what everyone uses therefore it's safe we're talking about security we're talking about a scenario where an exploit was found and i'm saying that you have to be skeptical enough to not make choices where you just wave your hand and don't care to check in 
the things at some level. You did so. I bet you, Heroku, got like nobody asking them, do you use Kubernetes? But you did take the time because there was enough skepticism of maybe I should ask. And I'm saying that's prudent. I'm not saying I don't think you need to do anything else. I don't think you should stop using Heroku. I'm just saying that in your role as a leader of building services that are dependent upon other services, it is upon you to be skeptical enough to check into things. I did the same thing. I was the only person that went, there was a a company in Louisville that did co-location hosting for websites. And we were only spending like a thousand bucks a month at the time for this same financial firm. And I flew to Louisville for a day to go and look at the co-location facility of two places. One of those places had everything done correctly. They looked legit. The other one, they had literally a, a different company above their servers with plumbing above their servers. Like yeah. their bathroom, one of their bathroom stacks, plumbing stacks, was above a rack of servers below the company that we would, in theory, be hosting with. And I was like, hell yeah. no. There's no way in heck I'm going to put my servers in a co-location facility that allows plumbing to be above their servers, like that allows right. a pipe of with water to be above them. Because it doesn't matter how good the plumbers are. Uh, there's so many flaws in a plumbing system that can cause a leak. And so that diligence was a day. And they said, you're the only person that's ever visited our server, our system like this. And this is back in 2005, maybe. Right. And it was the deciding choice. Now, do I think that Amazon is dumb enough to do that? No. But I'm just saying that if you, in your role of technology, skepticism is worthwhile. Paranoia is not, but skepticism of the companies that you are that are providing you services is part of your diligence that I think is worthwhile. Skepticism is, but uh, uh, again. Amazon's not going to let you go tour their their servers. No. So how how would you how would you implement that if you were to be skeptical of Amazon? Then you, that's where you like the link you talked about here. Their policies, read them. Sure. Um, yeah. That, oh yeah. No. 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 Yeah. Yeah. If that if that's the level of skepticism you're saying, which is don't accept that they have policies, actually go read the policies. Yeah. I, I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that. The mortgage company that I got our home loan with was like, wow, you read everything. And I'm like, well, it's not that long of a document, but yeah, I want to know what I'm signing. That's important stuff. If they, if, if Amazon has a one page document that says, if we F up everything, you have no recourse. I'm pulling everything from Amazon that day. If Amazon says, if we have a problem, you have to go to arbitration. I'm going to be like, okay, that's standard. If Amazon says at no point is data security a part of what we do for you. Okay. I'm out. 
Like I can't, I cannot put my company's servers there. So Amazon is a bad, is maybe a bad example, but Bernie Madoff was promising the same thing. And he got, and he was a big player. The amount of holdings he had relative to any other um, investment house was like with, with the lack of controls and accounting was amazing. Right. And that was an industry that was auto fully automated on so many levels. And he just, he used this backdoor of trust to skirt all of those things that everyone else was kind of like the fraud going on at Wells Fargo is still shocking to me that it got that far because there's so many automated processes in place that in theory should stop it. So we're picking on Amazon because they're a big player, but there's lots of co-location and cloud services that are popping up now. Like, I don't know. I'm not hosting anything important with Netlify, and I love their service. I think it's a terrific product. I don't know jack about them. I'm hosting HTML. No, I'm, I'm hosting HTML files there with zero data collection. So do I care a right. ton? Nah. But if I'm going to put a product that allows customers to put data through servers on their side at all. I got to do more diligence than sign up for Netlify and click a terms of service checkbox. It's on me, the tech leader, to be more skeptical of Netlify than what I'm doing for my own website at the moment. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So that that's actually a good warning um, is somebody's got to be reading those documents. Somebody's got to be doing that checking. And because the lawyers aren't, unless you direct the lawyers to do it, the lawyers aren't doing it. Um, And as a technology leader, that is your role. Um, And that is the role I serve for Aspire EDU is when the security documents come in from clients and they need to be answered, I go over them and I I re-answer them every time. Um, and, and I phrased it that way, meaning I don't have, uh, something I cut and paste from, I go and I will go and review previous questionnaires and move some answers over, but not before I read through it and go, is that still true? Because things are shifting all the time in what we're doing. Um, so there's no pat answer I give back. Um, to our clients when, when we're asked for, for answers on security. Um, and then things like, um, things, things like GDPR coming from Europe and, and California just implemented, uh, their own privacy regulations, which are not as stringent as, yeah. uh, GDPR, but they, they are, you know what? To do business in California, you have to look at it. So, um, and that's only going to become more the case. There's only going to, uh, there, there are more states are going to start to get involved in that. So, um, knowing, knowing the regulations, knowing where the services you use fit in all those, and knowing where the services you provide fit in all those, um, is an, a, a very important part of the job. I mean, the 
there's some argument to be made on those documents. Like when companies go into a contract with another company on a sales level, typically at a certain amount of scale, you have an attorney that reviews the contract between the parties, or at least on each side, the parties both have attorneys, right? If you're a tech company, depending on services, there's nothing to be said that you, the CTO, needs to be the one that reviews it. Like skepticism, I guess the I guess the point I want to make here is that skepticism doesn't have to be completely managed with your own time as a tech leader. So I didn't have to travel to Louisville. There are companies that go out and do due diligence for you on sort on services and stuff. Um, there's all sorts of industries where compliance is part of a of service that you farm out to other places. Food, uh, food industry is one where my dad did that for companies. So I guess my my the point I want to make is if you have a contract between you and another service provider and you feel like, hey, we need to be diligent about this. We need to be skeptical of this. You don't have to read that document yourself. You need perhaps a professional that can say, here are the risky points of this contract you may want to consider. And then you're aware of it. Your skepticism is at least has knowledge of the points of risk. And then you can weigh whether that's a big deal. And if the person that does the reading for you says, this is a crappy contract that, you, that was boilerplate that they copy and pasted that I could find on the internet in five minutes. That tells you something bigger about the company. But if they say, man, they cover their bases, you have recourse for failures um, through this means, and that's pretty standard, then maybe your skepticism is fine and or it's fine to, to check. But I don't think, I guess the, I don't want to try to tell tech leaders that amongst all the chores you have, it's only on you to read that stuff. It may not be your job specifically to conduct the due diligence. It may be on you to tell the, your company, we need to look at the due diligence on this. And then they find the professional that should do it for you. And, and you need to make sure that it happens is what you're saying. Yeah. Um, whether you're the one that does it, you need to make sure it happens. And, yep. and that that's, that's absolutely the case. Um, when you've got smaller companies, you don't have necessarily those resources to, uh, the, the financial resources to have somebody else do it. Um, sure. so sometimes it does fall upon you. Um, and you, you make your best efforts at it. And, and when, and by the way, that doesn't mean that if you find something you don't know, you just go, oh, it's probably not important. That means if you find something you don't know, you dig. Or that's where you go get help because that's a little bit more limited scope that you need help on as opposed to a whole document. Yeah. But um, you could also argue, you could say, you, I mean, it could be as simple as you go to your boss and you say, hey, we're doing... 70% of our technology hosting with AWS or Google Cloud. And there are terms of service agreements for all of these things that I don't have the time based on our on all of the things we're doing that I can review. So what do you, you've basically elevated it, the knowledge of the risk 
contractual risk to the higher ups and said, should this be part of my current responsibilities or is this something that you want that is important to you? We can and we can have someone else do, you know, and it's really on the person at the top to make some choice in that. Now, they may very well push it back to you and then you can have to do the, the typical I've only got so many hours in the day to get everything done. What do you want me to focus on? But it's still, I, I guess I'm a, I'm saying that the people that don't know technology are also looking at you as a tech leader to tell them where the points of risk are. And then if it's legal, you can say, I'm not an attorney. Or if there's holes in the contract, you say, we're using this service. It's economical. Here are the risk points in using that service, or here's what I don't know. I don't know if they use Kubernetes and that's still fine because at this point we don't know that Kubernetes is a risk, but it's still, right. still part of the, the pipeline. I mean, I, I feel like, yeah. I feel like the industry, when I, when I talk to other CTOs, um, Whenever we hear about like heart bleed and stuff, no one waves their hand like, I don't care about it. I think there's a deep seated fear of it's impossible for me to know. And I'm just not going to talk about it too much. <laughs> and that's natural. I don't think it's completely, I think it's a normal thing of like, there are so many things that I have control over that I'm working on right now that if Amazon, I, I think the going back to your point of like 70% of people are on the North Virginia AWS server. It's like when that goes down, what do you, what's the first thing you think about when AWS has a blip? Well, it's not just me. <laughs> it, absolutely true. Right. So like, who's going to, who's going to kick me in the teeth over this when GitHub is down? When right. S3 is down, like who, what else can I depend on? I mean, remember the, even Amazon's own status images were hosted on itself. And so its status was depending on itself to not go down. So when the, right. st when the Amazon status light alerts aren't working, how the heck can mine, you know, there's something yeah. to be said as a small business that you have to make those bets. And then when you get to a certain scale, those bets are too costly. You start to change how you do it. So at any point in our conversation, have I changed my mind about would I use Kubernetes? Would I use Amazon or Red Hat? Would I use Google Cloud? The answer is no. I'm still going to use all those services. Have I read the AWS terms of service? <laughs> Heck no. Like I'm not, none of these things are me saying, I read all these documents and think you should. I guess the what I'm saying is you should I've skeptic I am skeptical of them. I just have to make my choices about where that skepticism what that skepticism drives me to do. Right. Right. And 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 that's there there's a famous quote and I'm struggling to remember it something about um it's it's something to the effect of we can only do so much in the face of um, criminal behavior, right? Yeah. We can't outthink the criminals. We can only do do our best. Um, 
and and we rely on other things for for um that criminal behavior but um so i think that that pretty much covers the 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 thought process that we went through as we were trying to dis- determine what we what i was going to do in response to this kubernetes um um flaw uh i did i i i made sure all our developers knew about it so so we discussed it um i actually did not even raise it to the level of the ceo yeah um because after investigating it it did not affect us my only thought was maybe i'll send her a note just in case somebody comes back and says are you affected by that she had an easy answer um honestly what i was waiting for there i was waiting for the news to get bigger. Yeah. The news never got bigger. Therefore, I'm almost positive none of our clients even know that that flaw exists. Um, so it, it 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 didn't even matter. Do you um, think? So it, do you think the news didn't get big because George Soros is behind it, or the deep state? <laughs> uh, the, the, why is that an either or question? Why can't I say that? <laughs> Isn't that, isn't it the same thing? I don't know. I don't, I, that's a whole other episode on our new podcast, tinfoil management, tinfoil hat management. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I I think that what you just said there, like, do, is it your responsibility to bring every alert to your CEO? And the answer is no. Like your, your CEO most likely is hiring you to be that filter. Right. Bring me the important stuff. You right. you reached out to Heroku. You asked your main hosting provider, are you using this service that I just read has a major security exploit? They replied, no. That, if I was, if you're working for me and you gave me that you did that diligence, I'd be like, okay, that sounds like what I'd want you to ask. And right. does that mean that another provider on like if you're using Honey Badger and they in theory used a service that got hacked, is that on you? It's like I understand in this environment that you can't be that diligent, skeptical of everybody. But it's like I feel like in this case you did. And then what did you else did you do? You waited to see what happened with the exploit. Right. And obviously, at this point, either nothing happened or it wasn't of significant news that because Heartbleed didn't even cost a bunch of people money and that got better coverage. So, I mean, I feel like the dil- the skepticism, the diligence you put into it for this particular instance warranted like you you met that based on what I, I can tell. Right. And and. Uh, I, I was perfectly comfortable with where we were. Um, it, it did make me go, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things that it made me go back over. Okay. What happens if I find that Heroku, it made me go down that trail. What happens if I find out that Heroku uses Kubernetes? What are my next steps? Okay. My next steps are to do further investigation to find out what, how everybody else is reacting to this. Um, and that would have led me to, it was announced, patched, and then, and I'm sorry, it was, it was found, patched, and then announced. 
So that would have led me to making, seeing what the, the rest of the industry was doing. And the rest of the industry essentially through silence was telling me nobody was exposed yeah, or nobody thought they were exposed. So it's not for me to sit out, go out there and say, you know, incite panic by saying, we did, we, there, this flaw exists. We have no proof that we were breached, but we have no proof that we weren't. Therefore, we're just telling you we might have been because that's, that's not, that's not our responsibility either. Our, our, our contractual responsibilities are upon discovery of a breach. It's not yeah. on discovery, upon discovery of maybe. Yeah, that, that, that's our job is if there's a maybe to go investigate and find out further. So, um, so that it, it, it's, it's just part of the job. So um, I'm glad it turned out. Okay. Though there will be more instances like this and, and it just have to react to each one as they come. And, and that, that fight that turns that process and how we react to that into more of a, documented process if i'll write it down each time as far as okay what steps did i take yeah um that becomes that becomes even better so so that's that's pretty much it for for this uh discussion um what else did you have that's pretty much all i got um i don't use docker or kubernetes right now so neither one worried me a ton um right but I use Heroku. So, so when you when you decided to to write Heroku, I was waiting for your answer. <laughs> I was like, if they are using this and this gets bigger, this could be a huge. But it wasn't a big deal in that case. Um, but I could have been lying to you as well. So you did not verify that I wasn't lying to you. Are you the Bernie Madoff of my life? <laughs> do i need to get back that ten thousand dollars you said you were investing for me <laughs> what ten thousand dollars ah that. that's exactly so. what i thought oh man <laughs> all, all right, right. No, so very good <laughs> yep i think i think we've hit it um and then i guess we'll talk again now we have a i believe we have recaps coming up um, for the end of the year, correct? Yes. Well, we have a, in our other episode on this old app, we are going to talk with Mark Thompson, who we spoke to. He was using Dart and um, Flutter as an alpha user. And I guess Flutter is now 1.0. So we're going to follow up with him on his year 2018 with Flutter. And then... I don't know. Maybe we'll go over for the last CTO think of the year. We should probably kind of look back on the year of this is our first year of doing the podcast. Maybe we can look over our episodes and just talk about anything that came of those or something like that. So yeah, we can do a recap. That sounds good. Yeah. I, I think, I think the idea there is, Hey, we've talked about all these things. We, we, and we may not have talked about something that we talked about back in March, but, Things may have changed. Yeah. Um, so so we'll we'll do a catch up episode. Make sure we're we're all on the same page, and we'll launch into 2019. And we'll talk about whatever the last two weeks is going to replace React. I said that for <laughs> I said that for two reasons. One, we need React to be said in an episode for the Cha Ching, 
And there's no doubt there's a new framework out there that is beating React at the moment. And I guarantee it's happened. So, yeah, that's why I mentioned that. Yep, for sure. All right, man. Cha-ching. <laughs> All right, very good. Week. See you soon. Thanks for listening to the CTO Think Podcast. Show notes and previous episodes can be found on our website at ctothink.com. Reviews on Apple iTunes are always appreciated and help promote the show. Patreon contributions help us to produce episode transcripts, which allow people that are deaf or hard of hearing to access the show. If you have feedback, ideas, or want to be a guest, please email us at hello at ctothink.com. Show music is Dumpster Dive by Mark Wallach, licensed by premiumbeat.com. Voiceover work by meganvoices.com. You'll hear from us next week.